grab your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Well, it's graduation season, which is a time when many high school and college students, they put on, you know, the fancy robes and they get that diploma. And one of the big parts of a graduation ceremony is the speech. In high school, usually it's a nervous valedictorian or student body president who has to say a few words. But in college, you may be familiar, sometimes they have really well-known people give the commencement address. At big schools, sometimes those are even presidents or celebrities or authors. There's a famous story from a 1941 graduation where Winston Churchill gave a commencement address. And he got up and he said, never, 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 never give up. And then he sat down. How many of you have heard that story before? (laughs) Well, I'm sorry to have to break the news to you today, but it never happened It's fake news. It's another reason why we should not believe the things we read on the internet. You see, Churchill did give a commencement address, but he actually spoke for about 20 minutes. And he actually said, never give in, not never give up. But we got the basic idea right. It was a speech about perseverance. Churchill was talking specifically about his leadership of Great Britain through World War II. And that theme of perseverance is a theme of many graduation speeches. You hear at this time of year, you hear people say things like, keep going, work hard, never give up. And that's the idea we're going to hear in our message this morning. After Romans chapter 9, which we completed last week, Paul talked about God's sovereignty and election. He, He wanted to reaffirm people's choice to trust in Jesus and be saved. Because, you see, it's tempting to hear these mysterious truths about God's role in bringing his people to salvation and think, well, if God is going to have mercy on whomever he will, it doesn't matter what I do. I don't need to share the gospel and worry about those who are lost because God will just take care of it. There are some Christians out there who really think that way. Listen to me. We must absolutely reject that mindset. That's not biblical, but that's what we call fatalism. Fatalism is the idea that because everything is predetermined, then my choices don't really matter. But again, that's not an idea that Scripture ever teaches. So Romans 10 provides us with a much-needed balance. You may remember we talked about this tension in Scripture between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And where Romans 9 highlighted God's sovereignty, Romans 10 highlights man's responsibility. And I think this was done on purpose. I think this was written this way to help us not swing too far either way and fall into error. Paul gives us these two chapters to to be a biblical balance. So to go right along with that emphasis on God's plan in chapter 9, Paul tells us in chapter 10 that the gospel is available to everyone who will trust in Jesus. We all have a decision to make to follow Christ or to reject him. And in the same way, we all have a calling to take the gospel to those who have never heard it. But here's the sad reality. Many people have and will reject Jesus. We probably all know someone personally, a a child, a parent, a sibling, a close friend, a co-worker. Someone we really care about. Maybe who we've prayed for for a long time. Maybe we've even shared Jesus with them many times. And yet they don't believe. They continue to reject Christ. 
and we wonder, is there any hope? Should I just give up and be quiet? Is it even possible for them to be saved at this point? Well, the Apostle Paul was in a similar situation. In fact, it's one of the reasons he wrote this section of Romans 9 through 11. You see, the majority of Paul's people, the Jewish people, his family, his friends, the people he grew up with, as a whole, they had rejected Christ. And as we saw at the beginning of Romans 9, this really grieved Paul. It broke his heart, and it created a lot of questions for the Jewish and Gentile Christians of his day. They were thinking things like, man, these are God's chosen people. Did God break his promises to them? Is God fair in judging his own people? Those are the questions Paul has been answering. And he continues to address this issue of the Jewish rejection of Christ in today's passage in Romans chapter 10. And his message is simple. Never give up. No matter how long or how much people reject Jesus, we cannot give up on the hope of their salvation. So let's walk through our text, see that idea this morning, and then we will apply it in two ways at the end. So look with me first, Romans chapter 10, let's start with verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Uh, In this verse right here, Paul is actually quoting Leviticus 18.5, where God tells the nation of Israel, he says, hey, if you keep my law, you will live. But what has Paul already explained to us in Romans? He said in chapters 1 through 3 that no one can perfectly keep God's law. All of us have sinned, you, me, everyone. We've all sinned. We've all broken the law. So what Paul's doing now is contrasting two ways of trying to be saved and made righteous. You can try to be saved through the law. That's what the Jewish people were doing. They thought if they just tried hard enough to keep God's rules, he would save them. But that didn't work. So there has to be another way to be saved, to be made righteous. Well, there is. As we've also seen, we're saved by faith. Look at verses 6 and 7. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. In this verses, in these verses, Paul once again, as he does over and over in these chapters, he's quoting the Old Testament. This comes from Deuteronomy 30. And he takes these verses and connects them to Jesus. He says, righteousness based on faith is not something you have to try and go get. Why? Because it has come here to us through Christ. We don't have to go to heaven and try to bring salvation down. God has already sent his son down to the earth for you. And you don't have to go to the abyss and try to bring Christ up from the dead, but God has already raised him from the dead. The idea here is not that, is that salvation is not some distance, some unattainable thing that we have to work hard to get or to find on our own effort, but rather salvation is near. Look at verses 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. How near, how close is God's salvation? It's so close that all we must do is confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts. That's the difference between righteousness based on the law and righteousness based on faith. 
See, righteousness based on the law is what we call works righteousness. That's trying to earn your salvation by doing enough good things. And when you boil it down, that's really what every other religion in the world teaches. They teach that salvation is something that is dependent on you and your ability to do enough good things to earn it through the way you live your life. But notice the difference with righteousness based on faith. You don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. But it's a gift that you receive by faith. Faith is the one and only way to respond to God's salvation in Jesus that earns eternal life. And he describes this faith in two ways. Two words, belief and confess. Belief is something that happens on the inside. It's something we do with our heart. When I say heart, I'm not talking about that beating organ in your chest. When the Bible speaks of the heart, it speaks of the inner person, who we are on the inside. So when we believe in our heart, we make an internal decision to turn away from our sin and to turn to Jesus and trust in him. And then what happens in our heart comes out of our mouths. We confess Jesus as Lord. And the ultimate expression of that, if you look at the rest of the New Testament, is baptism. Baptism was designed to be the way that we identify with and confess Jesus as Lord. That's why every time before I dunk someone, I ask them one simple question. I say, who do you confess to be the Lord of your life? What do they say? They say, Jesus. So again, Paul is explaining how available God's salvation in Jesus is. All you have to do to be saved and to be made right with God and to be forgiven of your sins and to secure your place in heaven is to believe and confess. That's it. That's why we often memorize these verses. If you've memorized the Romans Road growing up in church, this is why it's in there. This is a really clear way to share the response of the gospel. And the beautiful thing about this response of faith is that anyone can do it. That's where Paul goes next. Look at verses 11 through 13. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here we got more Old Testament references. This is Isaiah 28, 16 and Joel 2, 32. And both of these verses use the word everyone. That's why Paul used them. He wants to highlight the availability of God's salvation to everyone who trusts in Jesus. Specifically, he makes it clear that there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Remember, those were the two groups of people in the Roman church in the first century. There were Jewish Christians and there were Gentile Christians, or Greek for short. And the Jewish people tended to think that because of their Old Testament heritage, that they had a leg up with God. While the Gentile people tended to think that because the Jews had rejected Jesus, that they had a leg up with God. And Paul humbles both sides here. He says, no, 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 no. There's no distinction here. There is one God. There is one way to him. And that's through his son, Jesus. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to heaven. No one is a part of God's people except through Christ. And everyone who calls on his name will be saved. Again, we have here another wonderful picture of what it means to put your faith in Jesus. It's to call, to call on him for salvation. And embedded in this idea of calling on someone is first recognizing your need for help. 
It's coming to a place where you say, hey, I cannot do this on my own. I need someone's help. I need someone to rescue me. I was reminded of this recently when I had to call 911. Yeah, you know, one of the things I think we take for granted here where we live is the availability of first responders in the case of emergency. When you pick up your phone and you dial 911, you will have people in your home in a matter of minutes who are trained to deal with just about anything. And I know that because, like I said, last summer I actually had to call 911. My, my son, he was one year old at the time, and one night he woke up crying, and my wife went to check on him, and he was just shivering from head to toe, and his lips were blue. So we were panicked a little bit, right? So we called 911 just to be safe, and it was like two minutes flat. And I had two police officers standing in my living room. Then came paramedics. Then came the firefighters. Man, I, I was floored how quickly they got there. And then when they got there, they knew exactly what to do. They checked his heart. They checked his lungs. Even on the spot, they were able to poke him with a needle, take his blood, and check his blood sugar. Turned out his blood sugar had bottomed out from an ear infection and a fever that he was dealing with. That's why he was, he was shaken. So he ended up, he, he was totally fine, but, but it was a scary situation. We were at a loss of what to do. We, we felt helpless. So I had to call on the name of the city of Olathe, and they came to my rescue. See, that's the way faith works. First, you have to realize that you are in desperate need of help. You're not just sick. You're dead in your sins. You don't just need a little boost. You need to be carried. And you call on the name of the Jesus, and when you do, he saves you. He doesn't stop first and measure your, your worthiness or your goodness. He doesn't give you a pop quiz or say, hey, why don't you come back later when you get your life together. No. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And in this next section, Paul hones in on that word, call. He wants us to see there's this series of steps that must take place before someone will call in the name of the Lord. Look at verses 14 and 15. How then... Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Have you heard those verses before? Really famous verses, right? Because they explain the significance of evangelism. And I read this, I think, man, this is really just common sense thinking. If calling on Jesus is what saves someone, well, first they need to believe he can actually do it. Like, I would not have called 911 if I didn't think they could help, if I didn't believe. But in order for me to believe that the first responders of Olathe, Kansas, could help, I had to first hear and know about them. I remember learning as a kid, you remember being told, what do you do in case of emergency? You dial 911, right? So a person will not believe in Jesus unless first they hear about who he is and what he's done. But they won't hear about Jesus unless someone tells them. Paul uses here that word preaching. Don't get tripped up by that. It's unfortunate, especially in my occupation today, that the word preaching has taken on a negative connotation. When someone is nagging you, or giving you their long-winded opinion on something you don't care to hear about, we say, oh, he's preaching at me. He's preaching at me. <laughs> That's not the idea here. Okay, this is a good kind of preaching. 
This word means to proclaim, to preach is to proclaim, to announce a message, and it fits with that word gospel, which is good news. So in order for someone to hear about Jesus and to believe in him and then to call upon him, someone else has to tell them about Jesus. Listen, living out your faith is so important. Being like Jesus at your job, in your neighborhood, in your school, that is essential to being a Christian. But if you want people to believe in Jesus at some point, you've got to open your mouth. (laughs) you got to tell them the good news. And this whole idea of sharing the gospel with your lifestyle, that's a good idea. That's a very good and needed thing. But I think it's become a cop-out for some people because we're too scared to say what we actually believe. So yes, live out your faith, serve people, love people, be a good witness, but good gracious, tell people what it is you've witnessed. If you've met Jesus and he's radically changed your life, for goodness sakes, tell someone. Open your mouth, share what Jesus has done for you. That is how people get saved. And listen to me, preaching ain't just for preachers. Let me say that again, preaching ain't just for preachers. (laughs) When I start to preach, you're not going to believe this, but when I start to preach and talk about Jesus, people say, oh, of course. He's a preacher. That's what he does, and they tune me out. Doesn't stop me, but they tune me out. But when you preach, people listen. You aren't getting paid for it. (laughs) You aren't a professional like people think I am, which I'm not. (laughs) You're in the office, in the school, in the hospital, in the grocery store, in the gym. You're in the places I can never go with people I will never meet. I cannot preach to your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family, but you can. And you're the one God has placed divinely, sovereignly in that very place for that very purpose that the people around you might hear about Jesus through you. See, that's what God's called you to do. Preach the gospel. Open your mouth. Share what Jesus has done for you. But there's one more step. You see it? People are not going to preach unless they're sent. How do I know if I'm, I'm sent to preach? Or I don't think I've ever been called or sent to do this. Well, Here's how you can know if you're sent. You ready? Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? If the answer is yes, then congratulations, you are sent. <laughs> All right? You don't need to wait for a sign in the sky or an audible voice from heaven. You don't even need to come crying down at the altar. And listen to this. You don't even need to pray about it. <laughs> it's already been decided. It's so funny. We use that language. Oh, this, let me pray about it. That's a Christian's way of saying, let me think of a way to get out of this. Uh, you don't need to pray about something that God has already explicitly commanded you to do. You've already got a word from the Lord straight with your name on it. It's called the Great Commission. Matthew 28, therefore, go, Micah, go and make disciples of all nations. That's your word. That's your sending. When you signed up to follow Jesus, you signed up to preach the gospel to the world. He said, Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. So if you're not joining him and seeking and saving the lost, you are not following Jesus. You're following someone else. To be a Christian is to be sent. That's why every Sunday morning at both of our campuses, the last thing we say in every worship service is what? You are sent. You're sent. 
We've been sent so we can preach and we preach so they can hear and they hear so they can believe and they believe so they can call on Jesus. That's the unbreakable chain that God has designed to bring the lost to Christ. And it starts with you. As a result, Paul says, how beautiful, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's another quote from the prophet Isaiah. And it's a bit of an oxymoron because feet are not beautiful. Okay, I don't care how many pedicures you get. Feet are not beautiful. And in the days of the Bible, they were even less beautiful. Do you know, in the first century, people walked everywhere they went. Most wore sandals. The roads were not paved, and the animals went where they went. So a person's feet were often the dirtiest, smelliest, most worn part of the body. And yet, Paul says, feet that take the gospel to the lost are beautiful. Not because of how they look, but because of what they do. They carry the message The message that the world desperately needs to hear. So we as Christians, we are called to have dirty, smelly, beautiful feet. But despite our being sent and going and preaching and people hearing, we can't escape the reality that many, if not most, who hear this message will reject it. And that's where Paul turns in verses 16 through 21, last part. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did, not, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Paul closes chapter 10 by emphasizing his chief concern one more time. It's the salvation of the Jewish people. The majority of those who were God's chosen people had rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And Paul wants to make clear here, there's there's no excuse. Verse 16, Paul references Isaiah's prophecy. Do you remember that from our Easter series? We walked through the song of the suffering servant. Isaiah prophesied that most of the people in Jesus' day would not believe his message. Why was that? Was it because they didn't hear the message? Verse 18 says, no, they heard it. He quotes the Old Testament again to show the message has gone out to all the people. Well, if they heard the message, then why didn't they understand? That's what verses 19 and 20 deal with. Paul quotes Deuteronomy. He quotes Isaiah again to show that none of this should be a surprise. And just as he's shown all along, this was predicted to happen. It was predicted that Israel would reject Jesus and that God would make them jealous with those who were not a nation. Now, what does that mean, not a nation? We're going to learn more about that in chapter 11. But God had a plan to take the gospel to the Gentile nations through Israel's rejection. Then in turn, Israel would become jealous of the Gentiles turning to God. This is what God meant when he said that he would be found by those who did not seek him. He's talking about the Gentile people. That's us. Did you know that you're a Gentile? All of us who don't come from a Jewish background who weren't a part of the old covenant, we weren't a part of the chosen nation of Israel, that's us. 
We're Gentiles, yet God chose to save us and to make us his people. We are a fulfillment of this prophecy. Isn't that awesome? But does that mean that God is done with the Jewish people? That he's done with the nation of Israel? Have we, have the church, replaced Israel as the people of God? Well, I hate to leave you hanging again, but those are the questions we're going to answer next week in chapter 11. But this last verse, verse 21, gives us a short answer. No, no. God still desires to save the people of Israel. He says all day long, he holds out his hands to them. I mean, despite their rejection, despite their disobedience, despite all they've done, his arms are out, ready to receive them again if they will simply turn to Jesus. Did you know that's what's happened throughout history and it's still happening today? There are people today with a Jewish heritage who are turning to Christ. Israelites are being saved and they will continue to be saved until Jesus comes back. So Paul's message to the Roman church is simple. Never give up. Yes, many have and will reject Christ, but that does not mean God is done with them. Never give up taking the gospel to the lost. And we need that same message today. So let me close really quickly with two takeaways this morning. Two takeaways. Here's the first. Number one, never give up on the gospel. If we want to see the people we love, our friends, our family, our community be saved, then we must be people that preach and live and cling to the gospel message. Like this has to be our theme. This has to be our reputation. This has to be the center of all that we do. If the gospel is the power of salvation, then we can't allow this message to just become assumed or to hang around in the background. It has to be front and center every Sunday in worship, every Sunday school class, every Bible study, every ministry, everything we do. Because faith in the gospel is the only way to be saved, because it's the only way for people to have hope, because it's the only way to go to heaven when you die, it must be the only way we hold out to others. We can't tell people just to be better, to do good. We can't just hold out strong morals or being a good citizen. We can't just motivate and encourage. We must tell people that there is no other name under heaven by which you may be saved in the name of Jesus. So yes, God has called us to serve our community. It's important that we serve those in need through ministries like Mission Southside. It's important that we serve the kids at Rolling Ridge Apartments. It's important that we care for our community through other community service opportunities. Hear me, we must and should and are doing those things. But we must utilize those ministries and those opportunities to point people to their ultimate hope, which is in Jesus. All of our ministries have to flow out of the gospel and lead people to gospel conversations. How can people call on the name of Jesus and be saved if we don't tell them? So first, we must never give up on the gospel. Here's our second takeaway. Number two, never give up on sharing the gospel. Look, I know you've been praying for that person in your life for a long time. I know you've shared your faith and you've been shut down. Maybe you've even been told, I don't want you to ever talk to me about that religious stuff again. But don't give up praying and sharing. 
Maybe your person seems like they're just too far gone. They become so hardened to the things of God, they've embraced a lifestyle that seems contrary to Jesus. Or maybe they've even told you that I will never step foot in the church. Don't give up praying and sharing the gospel. Here's why. Because God did not give up on you. All of us were dead in our sins at one point. All of us were a lost cause. All of us were far from God, enemies of him, and yet all of us were radically saved by his grace. If he could save us, he can save anyone. If he could save the Apostle Paul of all people, the guy who hated Christians, sought to imprison and kill them, he can save anyone. Don't give up praying and sharing the gospel with that person who's on your heart today. Look, we know that God is sovereign over salvation. We know that his purpose of election will stand. We know he will have mercy on whomever he wills. But we also know that God does not wish that any should perish. We also know that whosoever believes will have eternal life. And we know that God desires for everyone to know the glory of his son Jesus. Don't get so lost in this mystery. Don't spend all your time in the debate and thinking about the theological depths of this tension that you miss the simple call to obedience. Never give up on sharing the gospel. We don't know who will and won't believe. We don't know God's secret and hidden purposes. But we do know that God will save all those who call on him. And we do know that they can only call on him if they hear about him. And we do know that they will only hear about him if we take the message to them. So never, 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 never give up. Trust the gospel. Take it to the world. God will do his part. If we'll do ours. Let's bow our heads now in prayer.